You literally walk right in front of me like this, like in uh, in Alpha Jump, and then I was like, I was about to go A, but I was like, uh, it was late at night too, and you're kind of like looking for oh, someone I hope to go. I wasn't. What's up, everybody? Um, welcome to Talk Back on episode nine. Um, I'm your host, KO. Um, we have our other host, Jay Chong, who is a legend, uh, producer, as well as a songwriter and a composer. Um, we also have Cairo, CEO of Decade Plus Music. And I myself, I'm an audio engineer um, and a producer as well, too. Um, this this episode, Circuit Board, we're going to be going into how to set up your vocal uh, recording chain and um, being able to send send it out as a demo and experiment with different types of effects. So hope you guys enjoyed this one. Hey, what's up, guys? It's KO here. Today on Circuit Board, I'm going to go over how to develop your vocal template to make it efficient for recording, but also make it sound good for demo purposes. So let's get right into it. So as you can see here, we have a brand new template. There's no audio files or anything. Uh, what I'm going to do first is check what my buffer size is. And as you can see, my buffer size is at the lowest it can be. Um, when you're recording, you want to keep it low um, and increase it the more processing power that you need. Um, obviously, the lower the better, but uh, make sure to double check to see what your computer can handle. Now keep in mind when using a vocal template um, that every session is always going to be different. doesn't matter if you're the same vocalist, uh, just the change of key in the song could bring out a different register of your voice. So I have about four tracks that I like to record on, all routed to this lead vocal aux right below here. And this is where I like to keep all my plugins. So that way all these tracks are going to be routed to this aux where the processing is going to happen. Um, this way it keeps the latency low, um, but I also know if, if certain vocals are loud, I could just turn down this uh, rather than having to mess around with, you know, turning down or think about mixing when I'm recording. I personally like using some mixes for all my vocals because it allows me to have overall control uh, in terms of volume with my vocals, but also have the same exact processing without having to copy the plugins over and risk uh, introducing more latency to my recording. That being said, you can see that I have some processing on my lead Vox track. I have a Pro-Q3, which I'm taking out some of the harsh frequencies as well as some of the muddiness, as well as a low cut filter. I have a compressor, um, which allows me to even out the dynamics. And then this could be any kind of EQ. This is what I call an enhancement key EQ. Now keep in mind, um, after you compress and you do these uh, boosts, um, you might have to subtract a little bit more. At the end, I always like to put a de-esser. Um, this Waves de-esser has this female S setting that I always like to adjust uh, accordingly to each vocalist. And one of the things about recording with plugins on is to make sure it's not introducing any additional latency to your recording. This could throw the vocalists off. It could just ruin the vibe. And, um, you know, when it comes to recording, delivery is a huge key thing to make sure that your demos sound as, as amazing as possible. So please keep that in mind. I also have uh, additional aux sends where I'm sending it to some vocal reverbs as well as other time-based effects such as delays. 
um, and I also have some delays that I can automate throughout the track as well too. Now the reason why I like to use these top four tracks to record is because I'm able to just kind of have all my edits and comp on these top four tracks. Rather than having them all split out and trying to find where the vocals are, I kind of have them all in this corner right here. Now once I have all the vocals uh, comped and ready to go, I will just drag them down to this lead vox track or even to the background vocals track. Coming down here, we have our background tracks. This is where I like to um, use a stereo submix rather than mono. And the reason being is because I'm able to use these tracks to pan my backgrounds um, and make them sound as good as possible. As you can see here, my background highs are going to be a little bit narrower in terms of the panning compared to the mids as well as the low. Um, I'm able to put different processing on there as well too. I have several different EQ adjustments, but also a different set of compressors and uh, auxins as well too. Now, as you can see on this low, I have added an additional compressor just to make it a little tighter and there isn't any reverb because I want to make sure that it sounds as good as possible, but as clear as possible as well too. Last but not least, I have all of my vocal effects here. Rather than putting them on the tracks, I have uh, every bit of control just using auxins. Uh, but more importantly, be able to just do additional processing. For example, I have this EQ on my plate verb uh, just to make sure that it sounds as nice as possible for the recording. Now, one thing to note is all of my vocal channels, uh, as you can see, my lead vox uh, submix as well as my background submix and even my effects all route to this all vox channel. This gives me an overall control um, between the music track as well as the vocal track. Uh, that way, if the beat is at a good volume, but your vocals are way too loud, uh, you can just turn it, turn everything down right here without having to just, you know, figure out which vocals need to go down or uh, possibly ruin the, the levels of your mix just by individually controlling them. Um, then I would just put some basic mastering processing on there just to make it as uh, loud as possible. Now when creating a template, it's all about efficiency. Um, especially if you have ideas running into your head, you just want to be able to record it as fast as possible. Uh, a template is a great way for you to get started. However, just keep in mind that every little session that you do uh, requires some sort of adjustment as well as um, giving it some love as well too. So I hope you guys enjoyed this one and I'll see you guys next time. Welcome back everybody. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. We have a very special guest here for you today. He's a worldwide international pop star. He's also a songwriter, actor, influencer, and television host. Please welcome Kevin Wu, everybody. Woo woo. Woo. <laughs> Hello everyone. Woo. Kevin Wu here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Thank you for being able to hop on. Uh, before we talk about your brand new single, which is a great record, by the way. Let's go back Thank to you. let's go back to how it all started. Oh wow, it's gonna take days. <laughs> <laughs> the long journey. Uh, but first of all, hey Jay, hey Kairos, it's been a while. Hope you guys have been well. Uh, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're all out here in LA. It's cool. Yeah. But uh, to give you guys a quick background of uh, my my journey and my career. Um, I was in a K-pop boy band called Yukis for the past 15 years. 
Uh, left the group around four years ago, and now I am a solo artist uh, out here making music in the U.S. Uh, and I just released my new single called "Got It." It's all in English, so yeah, um, that's like my life in a nutshell. But we can get into details if you want. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, love the single, man. Um, Thank you. Yeah, as soon as it came out, I was like streaming it on uh, Spotify. I, I saw that. I saw your story. Thank you, Jay. <laughs> It's like it's a weird feeling that my name, like you're legendary, and it's it's oh. <laughs> it's kind of surreal to like even be friends with you because you know I looked up to you and and you paved the way for just all of us, uh, especially as Korean Americans. So it's it's a really surreal moment for you to be listening to my music and and supporting <laughs> each other. So this is really awesome. Uh, I was telling Kevin, uh, like we we finally met here in California for the first time. Oh. Uh, but yeah. uh, we, we actually, I actually saw him walking around my neighborhood in Korea, like all the time. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, hey, that's yeah. Kevin, because uh, James talks about you all the time, right? Yeah, like, James Lee, our good friend. Yeah, James home. Lee. Yeah, so like, I see you on his uh, feed all the time on, on his Instagram and stuff, and I'm like, oh, I think I'm gonna eventually meet this guy. Yeah, yeah, like, we have yeah. a lot of mutual friends. Um, but you should have said hi, you know, because there was like, <laughs> you, I literally saw you, walked, on the you literally walked right in front of me like this, like. In, uh, in I was, and then I was like, I was about to go, hey, but I was like, uh, <laughs> it was late, late at night too, and you're kind of like looking for oh, someone. I hope I wasn't like, drunk. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> you look, you look lost though. You're like looking for someone. Oh, like, no. yeah, you're like, that, that makes yeah. me nervous, right? It's like, oh, uh, you know, yeah. you were drinking. He's like, oh, what was I doing? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> I don't know if I was drinking, but Rodeo kind of makes sense. Who knows? Uh, but yeah, we, we actually connected over uh, Clubhouse. Um, and we finally got to meet in person. And Jay's been an incredible submitting uh, to me. He's he's been giving me a lot of good advice, and not even just about music, but uh, in life in general. So um, yeah, uh, it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> what, what would you say uh, your was your inspiration uh, coming up in this industry? I know, uh, you know, just, just kind of going to Jay, you know, and like I'm sure there's like a lot of people that you saw as mentor people that was uh you know that inspires you um just throughout your career yeah uh well i grew up in a small town called danville in uh, northern california and then i grew up you know surrounded by a lot of um music because my family was very musically talented my uncle's a opera singer uh he lived in germany for almost 20 years oh. my dad plays multiple instruments we always sing in the house i even had a karaoke machine a very stereotypical <laughs> korean of me to have a karaoke machine in the household uh but yeah i, I just love singing at an early age um i was part of my praise team in, in church um, I was a part of my school choir, uh, but really, what really got me into the K-pop industry was um, watching a lot of Korean shows. And back in the day, we had the VHS tapes. Yeah. That we wow. Were, you, what, what, you're from that era? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. In middle school, then. Uh, those are great memories to go, uh, right. you know, to the market with my, with my parents and stuff. But yeah, I, I watched a lot of Korean music growing up and um like god of course uh solid something name um and even after that um like rain jyp um hot like that was my era of, of k-pop and i don't know something about their music uh and their performance on stage it kind of 
intrigued me to learn more about my roots and uh, I'm Korean American so I was more Americanized but like I wanted to visit Korea and uh, when I did one summer in 2006 uh, I begged my mom to audition for yeah. a k-pop singer or it wasn't even necessarily like idol back then mm. um, I just wanted to perform right and then right. Um, I, I auditioned at multiple places like JYP um, SN and whatnot but uh, I, I got into an agency and I debuted at 16 after three months of signing. Wow. So You actually debuted yeah. before you kiss, right? There was a- so yeah, I, I debuted in a group called Sing, X-I-N-G, which means star in Chinese. Um, and I was there for two years and then I re-debuted in New Kiss, which was a you know, much more wow. long, longer running group. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, my inspiration was a lot of K-pop. Um, so that's that's how I got interested in dancing and, and performing and all that. Yeah. Now, you know, did you were you were you auditioning out in Korea or out here in, in California? I did one audition in Berkeley. They, uh, JYP, Rain, and Tim they had a joint concert at UC Berkeley. <laughs> I was yeah. there. <laughs> I was there. Um, funny story. Funny story. Um, I actually, you and I were, were very close in age. Um, uh, but it's it's funny because I grew up in Fremont. Um, okay. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So all the VHS tips, we would always go to El Camino or Oakland. But I remember there was a specific Korean radio station, and it was that joint concert was. Uh, was close to my birthday and my mom oh. submitted a letter to that radio station and they read it out loud saying that <laughs> my son his birthday's coming up he's getting more acne now he's getting pimples all over his face <laughs> the, re the radio host is reading this and and laughing his butt off but he said oh, at no. the end he said we'll send you two tickets and i was like okay this is interesting <laughs> so yeah. that was my first ever k-pop uh concert that i ever went to but i do remember that one very clearly <laughs> wow oh my god so you wow. know rain were big influences in my life it was really cool to see them up close and performing and there weren't that many i mean k-pop wasn't a thing back then it was mostly for the korean community um and there was it was just like all koreans um and then just seeing that evolve into what k-pop is today it's it's uh, an extraordinary journey, um, but I'm, I'm excited to share a little bit about that with you guys today. You, and you played a huge role because you were right at the heart of it. And, uh, you know, yeah, like, I think when we debuted, that's when it really started to uh, launch out to the global market. Um, like Shiny, 2PM, Big Bang, Wonder Girls, Sonia Shide, yeah. Yukis. Like that was when we had a lot of international members in our group. Yeah. Uh, before that, there weren't that many English speakers, um, but in my era, there were so many international members. And I think that's how um, it really kind of grew into a global genre. And that's when we started to do tours all over the world, which is insane. Well, you guys were one of the first groups to do like an original album in uh, Japanese, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely. Like, I think that's incredible because like seeing where K-pop is now, um, and how big it is internationally, and you guys crossing that bridge, that's pretty incredible. Well, before us, it was like Boa, something of course, and then um, TVXQ, uh, Super Junior, that era. But, um, but also we were one of the first 
groups to perform in Latin America, like Peru, Mexico. Uh, Mexico. Yeah, yeah. And one of the first groups to have international members as well, right? Yeah, we had three. Yeah, we had three. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Quite new. You had like a uh, like a Thai member, right? Thai member? No, we had a Macau member. Uh, his name uh, was Alexander. And then another uh, member was Eli. He's from Washington, D.C. So we, uh, And then uh, we had other members who spoke Chinese and Japanese. So we spoke like seven languages in total as a group. Wow. So that language barrier was very, very, you know, yeah, non-existent with the fans. Because yeah, before you guys, I think, you know, people made K-pop bands and then they blew them up really big in Korea and then they wanted to go international. It was sort of a second thought. Yeah. And then by, by the time they come to the U.S. or anywhere, you know, they can't speak the language. So eventually, yes, everybody started having international members or at least, you know, Korean Americans who speak English or bilingual. You know. Yeah, nowadays but, it's a must. Yeah. It's, I think BTS um, is like one of the few groups that have all just Korean members. Yeah. Uh, RM speaks English, but he's never lived abroad. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But their, their English is like, like just accelerated so fast, you know? Because I remember, uh, I remember when they, we were doing that reality show, you know, and they were out here like recording a, a rap album. Remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was uh, called like something in LA. Um, yeah, they were doing like a joint collaboration with artists out here and the whole hip hop scene in LA. Yeah, and, yeah. Reality show that was right before like they they blew up here. Yeah, and they couldn't communicate with each other. And they're like ah like this, and now they're all speaking English. So it's, it's cool. yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, have you guys <laughs> been to KCON before? KCON, you know, actually, I was in Korea the whole time KCON was going on. So like oh, and then actually, the pandemic hit. Yeah, and the pandemic hit, and now the KCON oh. is it still around or? Oh, they had a virtual uh, event, but I'm yeah. sure they're going to start up probably next year. Yeah. But yeah, KO and Karyos, I'm sure you've been to yeah, it's fun. Yeah, it's like, we. I, I, I was there like from, I think like the second one they've ever done. Uh, wow. Early stages, you know. Was that at Irvine? Yeah, I, I forget where it was, but yeah. Where it was in Irvine. <laughs> really? Not in, yeah. Uh, but, um, but it was, it was crazy because... You know, you just kind of saw it was, it was like my first time seeing like fans that were outside of like even the Asian market. Like it was it, <laughs> Asians were the minorities there. You know, it was it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's so crazy. Uh, and, and then you've done a few panels there, right? Talking about music. and. Yeah, that was really cool, too, because like uh, that was one of the first times, too, when fans actually like interacted with like the creatives, like, you know, would come up to me and talk about, um, you know, my songs, my catalog and. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a very unique experience just to kind of, you know, have that interaction between the, the, the creative side and the artists and the fans and, you know, just have everybody all in one place and stuff like that. That was, uh, that was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but yeah, I, I was going to ask you too, because I feel like being in a, like, it, it almost feels like you kiss was meant to be an international group, you know, just like with the different members and, um, and, and I feel like you bring this like factor this unique factor where you know coming growing up from the u.s uh, as korean american you take a lot of the influences from here over there you know as well and so we've talked about that where like i feel like you know growing up here we we have a, a 
a slight edge because we get to hear the radio here. Um, a lot of things that circulate, you know, in LA, um, in Hollywood, we get to kind of hear it first and experience it first before anyone else does. And so when you, mm -hmm. you were able to bring that kind of, uh, you know, culture and color into this group, I think that also kind of, you know, um, adds to what makes you kiss so unique, right? Would you say that, would you say that as well? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, I think, just me growing up in the States and being more familiar with the American culture and how the entertainment works out here. Yeah. And then bringing that essence to the K-pop group, I definitely made it more versatile and uh, diverse within, within the group members. And I think that resonated with a lot of fans uh, abroad. And now it's kind of like the opposite. I'm bringing the K-pop factor into my music out here, which I'm just doing, we started to do this year. And Funny thing, you, you mentioned about radio and how everything kind of gets heard here first. But my single "Got It" was played on Kiss FM. Yeah, yeah. I saw that. I saw that. That was awesome. It, it was super cool, and uh, they're very, very interested in K-pop, and they're more, um, you know, open to playing K-pop music, and not just K-pop music, uh, just like international music on the radio. And I think that's a huge step forward for just um, the music industry. Yeah. You know, because we, we take radio for granted, right? Living here in L.A. And yeah. I, I mean, I think when you when you go back to a time where, you know, even before Internet, whatever, like only way people heard music in Korea was uh, the, the military radio, right? <laughs> the, English, <laughs> the English, like the pop, they play like pop songs, like maybe one hour a day or something like that. <laughs> and then people, people would like, like tune in and try to like hear the latest songs. And then it's like one of those like, you know, like top 10, like kind of thing. And, you know, they don't go very deep into music, you know, but like living yeah. in LA, like everywhere you turn, you have different genres, you know, you know playing yeah. different yeah. stations and we take that for granted, but that's actually like kind of embedded into our DNA, right? Ever since we were kids mm -hmm. and, you know, just pop culture is so prevalent here. Like whether, whether yeah. it's movies or, you know, like just entertainment in general. So mm -hmm. like, like the the kind of content that we were exposed to as kids, you know, really affect how we kind of create now, right? So exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so let's talk about Got It. How did that come about? Yeah, uh, I started working with my producer. His name is Shintaro, and he's out here in LA. He's produced with artists like Ariana Grande and The Weeknd. Um, his latest single with Ariana Grande was Off the Table. Um, and yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a cool kind of collaboration because I was still in Korea a few months ago and I wanted to, you know, work on more international music with, uh, with American producers. And a mutual friend uh, brought us together and we we're working on this song uh, over Zoom. And I don't know if you've worked with other producers over Zoom, but it's kind of tricky at first, you know, <laughs> uh, setting it all up and sharing each other's screens and audio. Uh, but I mean, it was a, it was a great learning process for me. Uh, but yeah, we we started to share ideas um, over Zoom, and then I came out to LA, and um, I told him that I wanted an R and B um, pop retro vibe, and then yeah. I was and then I was uh, and then I top lined it with my lyrics, and I kind of brought in the K pop essence to the song. Yeah. So if you hear it, it's very uh, familiar because it's like you know it's very pop and R and B, but then. Uh, the chorus and some of the harmonies are very K-pop. And then I added a dance choreo to it. Um, and if you check out the music video, it's, it's there's a lot of dance involved. So. 
the whole package. Yeah, very cool, very cool, awesome man. Process, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because my uh, like you know biggest like influence, uh, my biggest like inspiration comes from R and B music. I grew up listening to Usher and Chris Brown, and these days uh, a lot of a lot of the weekend. So yeah, I think you could hear some of those uh, factors in the song as well. Too. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely got a summer vibe. So yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. Like a summer anthem. Uh, very good for driving too. For right? sure, for sure. I, yeah. In the music video too, I'm driving um, a vintage Camaro convertible down the PCA in Malibu, and it was nice. it's really really pretty. Um, but but there's a contrast. Uh, the the music is very upbeat and has summer vibes, but the lyrics. Uh, he doesn't do it carefully. It's, it's kind of it's kind of um, sad and, and dark. Mm. Uh, it's about toxic relationships, and it's my first time releasing something that I've personally worked on. Uh, I, I did work on other tracks with my members, and I participated, but this is the first song that I've fully written with the producer. So, mm. uh, yeah, you guys, the fans got to hear a little glimpse of my personal life and my stories. It's dope. Mm. So the whole the whole process was like Zoom then, or like just remote. Yeah. yeah just you know recording ideas on my phone and then and then eventually during the pandemic because i had so much time at home <laughs> i ended up buying speakers and then a mic um like a condenser mic and then you know headphones like the whole thing um and then all, all of my programs like i use logic pro and then i had to purchase uh, all the effects and um you know all that good stuff so it took a while for me to learn and a lot of it was learned from youtube <laughs> we, we all start that way and then our rooms look like ko's room like <laughs> <laughs> Dude, over the course of a few months i had to upgrade some of my equipment because i would i wanted something better and i wanted to top it but because at first it, i was like never stops. Ah, i'll just get never something stops. that does the job you know as long as it records my voice who cares right and then at first I got the Audio-Technica USB mic. And then, cause I thought it was decent. I was just writing my ideas. And then I was listening to it and I was like, ah, oh, I wish I wanted, I want more depth into it. And so like a month later, I bought the Audio-Technica, like the, the, mid, the mid-level one. But now I want annoyment, <laughs> you know? <laughs> the never ending, yeah, process, right? It'll end up like KO's room someday for sure. Yeah. That's, my, that's my dream goal right there. <laughs> The rabbit hole for sure, man. Uh, and James' studio in the back. Uh, like, uh, this is uh, this is my fantasy studio. <laughs> <laughs> That's your end goal. <laughs> oh man. So 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 when you were doing K-pop in Korea with you kiss and all that stuff, you know, it, it, ever since you're 16, were you always dreaming of doing something in the U.S. one day, or is it just Definitely. something you thought of recently? No, no. I mean, of course, because it's uh, th this is my roots. Um, like growing up in America, I've dreamed of performing on like the VMAs and the Grammys, and you know, it was definitely always the world stage that um, I dreamt of doing. Um, but then, you know, I, I never expected uh, K-pop to blow up this quickly. I knew it was going to happen eventually. I, I, I definitely had faith in it, but uh, didn't know it would come like, a reality so quickly. Um, but nowadays, it's not even a dream anymore. Um, yeah, <laughs> like performing at the Grammys, like BTS did it. Now, like every award show, they have at least one K-pop performer or nominee. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because I remember, uh, you know, everybody sort of 
Okay, I'm talking pre uh, Gangnam style. Right? <laughs> pre Gangnam, yeah. Gangnam style. Uh, you know, like like there's a time where everybody's trying to go international, right? But yeah. like it wasn't really happening, right? <laughs> so like people are kind of like kind of faking the funk, right? Like so they'll say stuff. Yeah, they, like, they would put out articles in Korea. So yeah, yeah, they did this and that overseas, and you can't confirm it. You know. Yeah. yeah. Or, or I've I've even heard stories where like record labels would go to like like London. And go to like a record store and put their CDs in there. Yeah, and, yeah, and take, yeah. take pictures and say, "Hey, our our records are in the stores in in London, right?" I've heard Stuff that. like that. Yeah. Oh, you heard it. So yeah, so it's, it's everywhere. Everybody's heard it. So there's been that there's been that type of thing. And then I think when Gangnam Style really like literally broke the YouTube like like counter, you know. Uh -huh. And I think he set the bar so high with that that. Video. The song, yeah, that video and all that. Like, only thing left was the Grammys, right? Like, yeah. like, and you know, like Hot 100 and all that stuff. And now, like, we're actually hitting those milestones, and it's crazy. It's crazy. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, what was I gonna say? I think it was. Uh, I'm glad it happened naturally. I think that was the only way it was going to yeah. happen because when you force something into a, a foreign market, it's like they need time to get familiar with it. Yeah. But Gangnam Style was definitely a viral video that that happened naturally. Also, BTS. Um, I think yes, they're very talented and their music was um, you know top notch. But I think the fandom really took over social media when social media started to blow up. Mm -hmm. And no one was able to ignore the fact that these guys were the most popular guys on the planet. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I really like the fact that they came here not really assimilating, but actually just doing their own thing. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Uh, uh, which, is, which is cool. In fact, like, you know, the first single was in Korean, right? And it was playing on the mm -hmm. radio. So, mm -hmm. like, even Gangnam Style was playing in, in Korean, and which is kind of cool, right? So, like, like, because. Yeah. You know, like before that, you know, I've seen so many different phases of like this whole international thing, right? From the, from even from the get go, and of course, yeah. You know, and what happens a lot is a lot of times, you know, they'll get like A list stars from Asia, whether it's Japan, you know, whatever, and they bring them over here, and then and then they'll like have like the A list producer produce them, and then and then they end up sounding like everybody else, right? So yeah, uh, and they just get get lost in the shuffle, uh, and like. I really liked how like the Latin people did it here in the late '90s, where they brought their own music here. Yeah, you know, it did. It wasn't produced by Timbaland or Pharrell. It was produced by no. like their own like producers out in the, the Latin market, and they brought that sound here, right? And yeah. we, we've always championed that type of uh, thing, and and now we actually have a K-pop blueprint where like we have some something that we offer, right? And, and yeah. now we, now we can hear it in your single as well, which is really cool. Thank you. Yeah, I think it just takes uh, more artists like me and more producers like you guys to really push forward. And yeah, I think it's it's a matter of time where it'll become not just categorized as K-pop, but just you know, good music, pop in yeah. general. Yeah, you know, you know, because uh, I remember back in like I don't know, like 2013, when I was meeting with labels and stuff, and you know, my my thing was always like, hey, I'm not trying to create the next Michael Jackson. Like, I just want an Asian person to be. Like just one of the players here like you know if it's yeah. if it's the nba we're bench roamers fine right like you know as, as long <laughs> as we're on the team and we're playing in the league right like can we get some players in here right uh and and and, and you know you fast forward like 20 years now we actually have somebody like michael jackson that caliber like you know hitting the mm -hmm. market in the u.s which is insane right 
And also the fact that now, you know, iTunes and Spotify is recognizing recognizing K-pop as a genre, right? Mm-hmm. Which, which is which is very cool. So, like, I think we're definitely gonna, uh, like, push the envelope and keep it keep it moving, man. I think... Yeah, uh, that's why I'm here. That's gonna get, I'm yeah. Here to stay. stay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's on uh, Target. Remember you guys said that uh, Target, they had, like, the whole shelf uh, dedicated towards, uh, you know, BTS. Um, we don't have to fake it. We don't have to put our CDs you know, in shelves. Oh, yeah, we don't have to anymore. <laughs> yeah, man, I was just at Target the other day, and, you know, like, K-pop is at the very front booth. Oh. Like, 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 the biggest booth. Like, as soon as you go to the CD section, the very first thing you see is this K-pop section. And then right next to it is a toy section where you go uh, and they have like the entire BTS oh. action figures yeah, like, yeah. or dolls, you know, like, <laughs> I don't, I don't think they still have those, but it, it, that thing was there like forever. Like, you know, yeah. Yeah. Insane. Yeah. So, so what, 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 like, like, what is your sort of like impression of like, being an artist here in the U.S. now, now that you're out there, like, doing your thing, uh, like, is it, is it, like, what you imagined, or? I mean, for me, it feels less nerve-wracking to go on shows and interviews out here, uh, probably because I'm more familiar with, uh, you know, the whole, I guess, system and culture out here, uh, whereas I felt like as a Korean-American in Korea, everything was a bit structured, um, and there's a lot of pressure whereas here everyone kind of uh, gravitates towards like just natural um just chill vibes you know um kind of like this podcast (laughs) podcast. yeah 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 yeah. uh but no i i don't feel any like cultural barrier I, i know i've been gone for almost 15 years of my life but coming back here and uh doing it doing the same thing i did in k-pop but out here it's just been lots of fun and being in LA, I love it because I get to collaborate with so many talented uh, creators, whether it's music or video or just, just any, every aspect, even fashion and photography. Um, there's just so, so much talent out here. Um, not only just in LA, but just America in general. So hmm. I'm glad that I could explore um, kind of like my, my horizons and expand it so that I could just be a more over, overall diverse um artists yeah awesome is there is there somebody that you want to collaborate with in the future like either a producer an artist etc oh yeah um so uh, when i was recording got it with shintaro the producer we recorded it at tommy brown's studio because uh, shintaro works with tommy and i would definitely want to work on something with tommy brown that'd be awesome yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, compared to your experiences in, 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 a, in a group setting, what do you think is the biggest difference uh, versus now where you're a solo artist? Um, there's pros and cons for sure. I think when I'm on the road and when I'm practicing, you know, it does get lonely. And, I, and it's good to have like brotherhood and just rely on people, uh, rely on members and, you know, just kind of have that balance where if I contribute something, someone else is doing something else where it just kind of becomes like a team effort. Whereas now, like all the eyes and spotlights on me. So I really have to, you know, step up my game and always be prepared for everything at every angle. 
whether it's performing on stage or interviews or just live shows, uh, it's a lot of pressure, but it's been a few years since I've made my departure and I've, I've grown to get used to it. Um, yeah, now it's not too nerve wracking. I'm enjoying every process, uh, every step of the way, but yeah, I do miss kind of like that chaotic, um, just, yeah, having, having people to talk to and interact, interact with uh, when I'm traveling. But as a solo artist, I do like it because I kind of get to do things at my own pace. And when you were in the, when I was in the group, I really didn't have any time and freedom to do it, like all, everything that I wanted to do. So it's, yeah, it's, it's scary, but I love, I love being in control. That's awesome. Yeah. So uh, one thing that I wanted to bring up is NFTs. Now, this is a big talk lately, um, especially on Clubhouse, as well oh, as yeah. just even something that the music industry has a huge interest in. Uh, talk, you know, share us your experiences with it and um, I guess your, uh, your motives behind uh, your NFT collections. And yeah, so I recently dropped my first NFTs uh, with my single Got It. And I'm working with a company called Collection, um, K-L-K-T-N. And it was um, a first of its kind because I was the first solo artist in K-pop to release uh, my own NFTs. And the reasoning behind this release was to, you know, make NFTs more relevant and familiar in the Asian market. Uh, right now, it's very, um, you know, it's very well known out here in the States. But I feel like uh, the, the Asian community and, and even the fandom uh, out there, uh, yeah, I wanted to be that bridge. Uh, and moving forward with technology and art and music, I feel like NFTs were a great way to introduce it to my fans. And so the NFTs that I've dropped are digital artwork. Um, there, there are three different artworks that are related to my music video and you can see the hints uh, and the correlation if you see the music video and basically for people who don't know what nfts are it's it's basically a type of cryptocurrency in the form of art whether it's um you know like a, a painting like an art but in a digital form or or music or it could be um audio video moments uh, i know uh, the nba top shots are really big with like the trading cards and they have like a very epic moment uh, that the fans could own uh, uniquely. And so I have a similar thing called moments as well, too. So I've combined and compiled a lot of different special moments that go on behind the scenes, uh, something that the fans don't really get to see um, on social media or normal, you know, uh, daily basis. I, I wanted to share my life and my journey with them through collection and, and my NFTs. So that's the one thing that sets my NFTs apart from all the other NFTs. And I think it's a great step forward to get the fans engaged with the artist. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. I think that's one thing that made K-pop so interesting is that even beforehand, um, you know, collecting CDs was a huge thing, right? Um, you know, Kairos has talked about like even collecting Girls' Generation CD. <laughs> uh, back in the day, you needed all cards in order to join, like all members' cards in order to join a fan club. So, something like that, um, yeah, or get yeah. a, into a like into an event or like something like that. Yeah, but yeah. Just to clear, like I didn't collect Girls' Generation cards. 
it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Like all nine, you know. But I mean, I, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's a very. It just made it like I was collecting Girls' Generation cards. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. By the way, they're they're great. No shame. No shame. Yeah. Um. But you, like, just like uh, Ko said, yeah. I think it's it's really um a cool thing. Like, I feel like K-pop has already you know like started that way back in the day you know with a lot of these different um collectible things and uh, i remember i was in a studio with will i am and at the time like his team was like freaking out because they were like saying you got to get in on this and, and try to do it on the next album i remember he kind of made a joke about it like he put a cd into a kleenex box and said my music makes you cry and it was it was you know it was all in good fun but i think cards and all that stuff happening even just way before nfts uh, i feel like you know k-pop has always been kind of ahead of the curve you know? yeah that's yeah. why there's such a huge potential for nfts to do well in in k-pop and the asian market because fans are already familiar with collectibles and you know um with the world moving so quickly and even like without travel it's hard to get like things in person because you long time ago fans used to travel to korea and get like the albums and the and the photos personally but I feel like through the digital world and the crypto world, uh, it's just much easier for them to to uh, have ownership over um, just content and yeah, digital content. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, even just talking about like going driving over to Oakland or, you know, in my case, like El Camino. <laughs> yeah, to, yeah, yeah. To pick up that VHS tape just to watch a drama or listen to it or listen to some K-pop. You know, it, it's still a hassle, but now if it's on, if, if there's CD selling at Target or if we have access to digital means, then, you know, mm -hmm. that just helps uh, for people all around the world to be able to listen to all different kinds of music, including yours as well, and um, sure. get get a better connection too. So yeah, I, think that's I, think, I think also the reason why um, I wanted to do this is because with my NFTs, you don't have to have cryptocurrency like Bitcoin um to purchase them um it's on a blockchain called flow and fans are able to purchase them with credit cards and uh just regular you know currency so that's that's one good factor and also later down the line um these are limited editions so once other fans want a special nft or a special moment like the ones i described before the fans will have to either trade or resell them um for you know, a higher value. So mm. that's all going to be really pretty cool uh, in the future. Sure. Is there a specific artist that you collab with? Like visual artist? Yeah, there's a visual artist called MMBP that I collaborated oh. with. They also, um, yeah, they, they made the, the NFT digital artwork and also they do a lot of crazy stuff with uh, artists in Europe and America. And they're just super talented and I was mm. very honored to, to create something very very uh, cool with them yeah. and it's it's a great opportunity for like a visual artist to actually have ownership too of their work yeah. right yeah and, yeah, and, yeah and to get royalties and you know uh to get compensated for the work which is i think that's cool. how it kind of started uh, before yeah. artists like you know blau and uh, the weekend started to make music entities i think it started with digital artwork yeah where artists put uh minted their artwork yeah yeah I think that's, uh, you know, everybody's saying NFT is the future, uh, so, yeah. Oh, yeah. and it's great because as artists and musicians and producers, we, we get to have full ownership over our creation. Yeah, very cool, very cool. Yeah, I've been trying to get uh, Peniel an NFT. 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, hopefully for his uh, his you know future releases, he could do something yeah. with NFTs. Yeah, we're we're gonna definitely do something with NFTs. But yeah, it's, it's um it's so cool. I, I think there's just it has to be like that, right? Because I feel like as the world's changing, we have to constantly figure out new ways and you know what better um way to do it through just creatives in just general. You know, like I feel like there's just a lot of opportunities, you know, there. So. It's just so hard to introduce them to like my audience because you know a lot of them aren't really familiar with the tech you know, world and crypto world. So uh, it was it was quite a process to to explain to them what they actually were. We made it so that they made a comparison that kind of, kind of saying like, you know how you collect albums or sign posters? Imagine that, but you could do it digitally. So, yeah. And then they were like, oh, okay. And then uh, we also put benefits and perks uh, packaged with NFT. So if you buy some, uh, some tier of the NFT, you get to have like a mini card date with me like a virtual car date um, or like a photo opportunity with me over zoom or something like that so that they get increased yeah i mean i mean i could tell like just how much your fan fans mean to you you know and i just know that the fandom in k-pop and just uh the people that support you know artists around the world are just are like the reason why we're able to do this, you know, and we're able to constantly. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and uh, I know some people might, you know, perceive it as like, oh, it's a cash grab. They just, you know, are doing it for the money. But for this one, for this company that I'm uh, collaborating with, Collection, they really wanted to focus on the engagement with the fans and the interaction and giving back to the fans because they supported us since day one. And we're giving them, you know, content that they can't get anywhere else. Um, so th- we want to make them feel like they've are they uh, you know they're all, they're 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 along the journey with my journey and helping me grow as an artist. So that's yeah, that's a really cool concept for me. Yeah, yeah, that's incredible. COVID has made us adjust and learn to work in so many different ways. How do you think it's impacted you so far? I know you shared a little bit about your process when you wrote uh, "Got It," but yeah. um, anything else that has made you kind of uh, adjust or for sure, for sure. Um, of course, starting with live concerts, um, I've been doing many uh, virtual online concerts with my fans, and I think even after you know COVID has has uh, vanished, I think it'll stay for good. Um, I think it's a great way to connect with the international audience, and even for people who can't attend in person, I think it's a great way for them to share the experience and. Um, for me, I've been doing so many different kinds of virtual concerts from Mm. concerts in my bedroom, um, (laughs) literally like just in my room singing uh, into a mic and also on stages, uh, with multiple artists, uh, music festivals, uh, that are online now. Um, and I think, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's, it's a great way, uh, to connect with the fans for sure. Right. Yeah. Speaking um, of virtual concerts, is that why you want a Neumann now? <laughs> I know, yes, yes, uh, for sure. That was one of the reasons why. Um, but recently I did a in-person concert in Texas, and mm. that was an amazing experience because, you know, virtual concerts are fun and all, but nothing really beats the, the, the real deal. And for sure. just feeling that energy and, you know, um, reciprocating the energy back to them, it was it was a very special moment for me and I can't wait to do more in-person concerts, but I think virtual concerts will uh, stick around for sure. Awesome. Cool. 
So as a, um, from an artist standpoint, what kind of advice would you give to uh, a producer or a songwriter um, that are also kind of adjusting, you know, in these times, just with, you know, different things, um, different ways to write together and different ways to collaborate. Um, I think it, it, the artist insight is always great because a lot of times, you know, as a songwriter or producer, um, they send their stuff, they pitch, they work with publishers, but they don't really get to see the the process, um, you know, once it leaves their hands into, you know, the record labels or the publishers. Mm -hmm. uh, I would love to just kind of hear, um, you, you know, uh, your take or your uh, view in just how um, that process can be better or just, you know, or any advice that can help songwriters and producers today. Yeah. Um I mean, with social media and all, I think that's the best way to, um, you know, put your music out there and utilizing that global, you know, audience. Uh, I think SoundCloud for sure is a great way to uh, introduce yourself to the music industry and the community out there. Because um, I listen to a lot of beats and tracks on SoundCloud and I have reached out to them like, you know, uh, personally, like even through Instagram DMs. And most of the time they respond because, um, you know, I mean, the verification on my Instagram handle definitely helps because <laughs> they actually get to see it on top. Um, but that's how I connected with a lot of producers. So definitely putting your music out there on uh, social media helps. And also just reaching out, uh, vice versa, the songwriters reaching out to artists because sometimes we do look at our messages and stuff, and even Twitter. if. If it becomes like a, a thing, I, I could probably see it on my feed. Um, but yeah, I think reaching out directly is always the best way. Very cool. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> Make sure you had the check mark though. If you <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but also for me, when I, when I have a song that I really like, I look up the, the producers and the writers and the composers for that song so that I could keep in mind uh, if I ever do meet them or if I want to reach out to them, I know their names. Right. Something that does happen with artists. So, yeah. I'm seeing a lot more artists do that now. Uh, I know a few artists that are here in LA right now from Asia and they're very resourceful because like, you know, they just feel like a&Rs are really not doing their job. So they're like, okay, I, I'm going to find these producers myself. So they fly yeah. out here. If, and, you know, within a few weeks, they got like a whole roster of producers and they're getting beats and, exactly. you know, uh, they have a whole record made in like a month. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, there's a lot, like you said, there's a lot of creative producers out here in the States, uh, especially oh, yeah. in LA, uh, you know, and everybody's like just hungry. So, like, if you're an artist, you know, looking for songs, is the place to be man exactly exactly yeah and vice versa i think there's so many talented artists out here in la um and yeah i wish i wish to, there was an app that could connect artists with songwriters <laughs> maybe someone's already working on it but that'd be cool yeah i think like clubhouse is kind of been a cool thing you know oh, clubhouse. yeah 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 it's gonna die down a little bit at least for me like I, I haven't been on it as much but um it was kind of a cool concept where people can uh, tune into different conversations and um, even share music, you know, in real time. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was that was cool. How there was rooms where they would just play music like nonstop, and people would reach out to them because um, they have a new DM function on Clubhouse. Yeah, yeah. pretty cool. Clubhouse is definitely a, a good resource. You know, I was watching a video on YouTube today. Uh, this guy, this producer, uh, like 
you, you know what Fiverr is, right? Yeah. Fiverr? Fiverr is where you, like, like basically individuals out there, they, like, they basically, uh, you pay them to do creative work for you. Uh, and they could just kind of price themselves and you pay them whatever they ask. Uh-huh. And, and it's relatively cheap. So this guy went on, this guy went on Fiverr and looked for rappers to rap on his beat. And then so he, he paid, he paid like about $1,000 worth of like rappers to participate. So there's about six rappers that were on his beat. And at the end of the video, it's hilarious because he, he listens to all of them and he critiques them all. And then at the end, he's like, I, you know, uh, like, like none of these are salvageable. <laughs> 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 just like wow. in the end of story and they, that, that's the end of the video and there's like a couple uh those videos i was watching that today but you know as producers we're, we're constantly looking for artists as well right and it's like you're right like i think there you know it'd be nice to have a like a platform where artists connect with producers and yeah. actually could work together yeah, um, yeah for now it's more like you know mutual friends and uh connections within my network um, mm-hmm. you know, start, things starts to happen, but yeah, I would love to reach out to more artists. And yeah. I mean, now that I'm in LA, I would love to work with you guys. I might be, I might actually cut this out, but I'm just going to kind of share with you guys. So I am actually working on an app, um, you know, with a company on just the creatives connecting, not only with that, but just how publishing works in between so that more creatives can have more control over their copyrights. And, uh, you know, especially when it comes to the royalty statements and how that works internationally in different organizations. And, you know, I think there's a lot of things that we need to take more in control uh, than, you know, someone just telling you, Hey, you, you received this and that's how it is. Um, a lot of times we don't, we don't see the options because we don't know the options, you know? And, and so I think it's important that we do create these avenues and different uh, platforms or where, you know, we don't only just collaborate, but it leads to, you know, bigger things and bigger options. So definitely like, I'll, I'll kind of talk more about that, uh, you know, and especially offline and, and when we do make it official, uh, yeah. we'll, we'll announce it, but very interesting. Yeah, I think um, a lot of the creatives today, not enough people are, are aware of how music is being monetized, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, uh, receiving their um, their checks. Um, and so that that is one of the issues, especially with artists that are independent artists that are going out there. There's a lot of things that we can uncover, I think, even for artists, because um, we're working with an artist right now. We can't um, announce it yet, but it's a really good time for us to understand the other side of it, too, um, especially because... You know, I, I think you're such a great example of that, um, you know, as a as a solo artist and just having great music and, you know, understanding how you're navigating this this world uh, uh, in this music world. Um, it's really important, you know, where that where that is leading to, you know, with that yeah. purpose in mind. So really cool. You know, and I'll definitely talk to you more about that, you know. Uh, yeah, that's great uh, information. I, I remember hitting up Jay. Because uh, the, the song "Got It" uh, was released independently, and I had like no information about how to publish it and distribute it. So, um, yeah, it's it's definitely something that artists and creators and, and producers all should know and take ownership of. Because it's not like your your music and your content is just kind of getting leaked, and you don't really you know get monetized over it. Yeah. So it's very very important. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. 
just even seeing a lot of the royalty statements because I get a lot of phone calls and uh, emails uh, about just their royalty statements because it doesn't look right or it doesn't yeah. feel like it, you know something is off and in most cases it is it's it's uh, there's a lot of flaws there and um, you know there's a lot of disconnect when it comes to just how that reflects their success right and um, and and that's a problem and a big part of that is also the cultural gap you know and we talked about that a little bit in our um, episodes too but just even when you work with different territories or different countries and you know with different culture expectations like you are going to run into that wall um and those gaps and so and every organization has a completely different system you know from the next one and so it's it's really important to know um how to navigate that system um and you know and really start making money because i think it's like it's unfortunate because i think in our industry so many people um are experiencing a lot of disappointment and um, that music you know is really not leading to anything besides just being creative you know and uh and i and it's so unfortunate when i see that because of course you know it's not easy to be successful financially um yeah. but it's also because i think so much of that information is kept away from them um because everyone else like the record labels and you know the bigger publishers they all bank you know they're making tons of money on all the creatives and us as creatives we got to be more vocal about these things and so i really appreciate the fact that uh you talked about that a little bit and you know and yeah. so that you know we are more aware of it exactly yeah. great point yeah. thanks kevin for being able to share um share so many things with us is there anything that you want to share for a future release or anything that you're working on First of all, yeah, thank you so much for having me today on your podcast. Um, I'm glad I was able to share a lot of my insight and knowledge. Uh, but yeah, uh, lastly, I would like to plug in uh, my virtual concerts that I'm holding every month. Uh, it's on a platform called Sessions, and I do have a fan community called Clover with a K, uh, Kevin Lovers. Uh, that's my fan club name. And yeah. join that fan community. Um, you can see all the behind the scenes footage, um, just just so many different um, benefits, like access to my artist store for merch. Uh, also, I do a lot of live activations, not only like musical related, but also like cooking shows, um, music sessions, like how I write music on Logic Pro, um, like yoga sessions. I do I do a, a ton of different types of live stream shows on uh, sessions. So please check it out. Uh, it's on my socials, which is on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, uh, TikTok. I do all of that. So uh, make sure to yeah keep in touch with me. And I'm also working on new music. So stay tuned. Awesome. Yeah. Hung, I know you got something coming out. Oh, actually, uh, yeah. So September 3rd, a uh, uh, new single is coming out for my solo project called Savian. Uh, it's an alternate spelling of the word Savian, like the savior. But uh, it's S A V I Y N, uh, and you can check that out at uh, on Instagram Savian Music, or my Instagram I am Jay Chong. Uh, there's gonna be some updates and uh, the links, so definitely check that out. Cool, Jay. I'm looking forward to it. Oh yeah, it, it's called Daylight. <laughs> Daylight. Ooh. Yeah. Cool. Daylight. Cool. Awesome. All right, guys. Uh, thanks for tuning in today. I think one thing that we could take away is uh, never forget where you came from. You know, we talk a lot about our roots, uh, what we what inspired us to become who we are today. So 
you know, never forget who you are. Be proud of who you are because that all, you know, that all can be expressed in what you're doing today and um, make you such a better person. So hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Until next time, see you guys later. Woo -hoo. Woo -hoo. Bye.